Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to start by thanking Capital Link for inviting me here. Um, in terms of a theme for the presentation, I'm going to talk about whether to fold, whether to hold, or whether to double up, which hand you should play, ne play next. Um, for those who are concerned they've walked into the wrong conference and it's about gambling, uh, unfortunately it's not. It's, uh, this is a shipping presentation. And like most uh, fundamental space presentations, we're going to start off taking a look at the demand side, look at vessel supply, earnings, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some scenario analysis. One of the things we're struggling with here at MSI is that increasingly key, key facets of the industry are being dictated by government policy or commodity prices which by their nature are quite hard for fundamentals-based forecasts like MSI to capture. Uh, based on these scenarios, I'm going to talk about what the potential winning hand could be in terms of vessel investments, and then uh, I want to talk about one of the key risks we see to the industry. And those who have seen MSI presentations before can probably tell what's going to be on that last slide. Uh, but having said that, uh, when we look at the demand side, things are set relatively fair. This just shows uh, for the key merchant shipping sectors uh, the historical perspective, what demand growth has looked like over the past four years, and then how we see it proceeding uh, going forward. You can see that uh, LNG, for our view, is uh, the best place on just looking at the demand side. Huge liquefaction capacity coming online in Australia and the US is going to boost that. But if you also look at containers and bulkers, again, we expect to see demand growth going, growing faster than uh, it has over the past four years. It's only really tankers that maybe you, you have a little bit of a disappointing, um, disappointing demand side looking forward. Uh, this is just another way of presenting this, uh, this theme. Uh, it just shows that it's sort of an uh, ordinal ranking. What were the best performers by sector over the last four, uh, four years in terms of demand? As you can see, LPG was very strong, but similarly, bulkers, uh, product carriers, container ships. Looking forward, as I mentioned, LNG we see as one of the strongest sectors, uh, but we also think uh, container and chems look very well placed under our base case scenario, at least. However, cargo growth measured in tons only presents part of the picture. You also have to convert that into true vessel demand, taking into account voyages, the distances associated with those, the speed the vessels travel at, waiting times, port times, the number of days the vessel operates, ballast ratios, carrying capacity, and size changes to really get a true and accurate measure of vessel demand. And this is just one example to show why this matters. This is a snapshot of trading speeds for the entire dry bulk fleet taken over 2017. As you can see, for modern vessels, uh, vessels under 15 years old, there's a very clear spike. Most vessels spend most of their time trading at around 10 knots. However, when we look at the older vessels, it's a very different story. Uh, if you look at vessels over 15 years, those are the distributions towards the left of the chart where they're actually spending the, you know, most of their time trading only around five or six knots, maybe trading slowly, maybe drifting, uh, waiting for the next cargo. So if you were just to apply a blanket dry bulk carriers trade at 11 knots, you'd fundamentally underestimate a significant amount of dry bulk demand. And it's, I think, that kind of subtlety that you have to try and 
draw out when you're trying to understand uh, the evolution of vessel demand. Uh, what I've done here is I've, t I've converted our trade in tons to number of vessels using uh, all the adjustment factors to do with ton miles and vessel speeds. And here I'm just showing uh, an indicative uh, number of vessels that you would need on the assumption that you only have one type of vessel for each sector. So uh, crude oil is obviously VLCCs, Cape size, uh, bulk is Cape size. And based on that, how many uh, vessels are you going to need to carry future cargoes over the second half of this year, 2018 and 2019? And as you can see, I mean, the first positive news is with the exception of the offshore sector, the anchor handling tug supply vessel. With that exception, everything else is positive. And it's a relatively strong, strong picture and bulk looks particularly well placed. Um, of course, I'm only talking about demand. We now have to build in vessel supply as well. And um, doing that, there are a number of things you have to take into account. First is just how the order book marries up to the vessel demand. So this is the same vessel demand side, slide I showed before, but then also looking at how that uh, marries up with the order book. And as you can see, actually you see oversupply for quite a few of these sectors. But that's not the only thing. In fact, the industry has a three-card trick to reduce oversupply. You can reduce contracting, you can increase cancellation, and you can increase scrapping. And two of those factors weren't captured in the previous slide. Firstly, when we look at contracting, I mean, this is, uh, this Ted already touched on this, but this is a very positive story. When we look at uh, new building contracting as a percentage of uh, capacity on the water, we're actually at historic, historical lows already. So from, from the perspective of new building contracting, it's a relatively positive story. Uh, cancellations, I think, is a mixed story here. Um, Cancellations have played a really large role in 2015, 2016. They're trending down now. We think that cancellations of existing uh, orders is, are going to be less significant going forward than they have been. Uh, scrapping is an interesting one, and particularly some of the uh, areas where it, it can act as a pressure release valve when you do get oversupply occurring. If you look towards the right-hand side of this uh, chart, these are the fleets with the older average age. So you can see that Reefer is a very, uh, very old fleet, but we wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone to go out and invest in one of those. What I think is interesting is looking at the middle si sizes here. People typically th view the container shipping industry as very young, but actually there's a, there are a lot of small old container ships out there that potentially could be scrapped. Uh, looking at the other side, Bulkers and LPG are relatively young fleets. So the safety valve that you have there is, is lessened. Of course, age isn't the only, uh, the only determinant of when you scrap. It's also a function on the market. This uh, slide tries to show this. Look at the average age of scrap that we've seen. So you can see um, throughout the 80s, and 90s, and mid-2000s, as the markets were progressively improving, the average age of scrap increased. However, since 2008, as markets deteriorated, Again, we've seen average scrapping ages decreasing, which is another way of co uh, combating oversupply within the industry. We put all that together, and where do we get in terms of fleet growth? Well, it's actually a very positive story again. Um, overall, we see fleet growth over the, next, over the coming four years 
uh, or over the coming two years being weaker than the pre preceding three years. So in that sense, we actually see the fundamentals as being relatively positive. That's a good thing because when we look at the industry earnings, this is just a schematic of how MSI sees each sector within the industry. And as you can see, it's, uh, we remain in a time of cyclical, for want of a better uh, term, for ci of cyclical depression. We see crude oil and product tankers both seeing their earnings deteriorate. Everything else is close to the bottom of the earnings trough, with the exception of Roros, which, due to cyclical underinvestment in the boom years, actually are having their day in the sun. But otherwise, we're in a very stressed industry. The next chart is just a slightly more scientific way of trying to present the same message. What we're doing here is showing the, um, where earnings sit today, that's the red dot, relative to their historical median, that's the thick blue line. As you can see, for nearly all sectors, with the exception of MPP and handy bulkers, we're below the historical median. I've also shown here what MSI's forecast is for the, uh, where earnings will be in 2020. That's the green dot. And as you can see, for nearly every sector on this chart, the green dot is above the red dot. What that means is that we expect to see earnings increase almost across the board. However, this is all based on our base case scenario. I mentioned the challenges that we're having forecasting due to the impact of things like commodity price um, and uh, policies. And this is just some of them. Obviously, you see the OPEC decision had a huge impact on crude tankers back in 2014-15. Uh, Chinese coal output has a major impact on the dry bulk market. US LNG exports are key to the strengthening we see in the LNG market. And uh, similarly, CHEMS is very dependent on um, the dynamics of the buildup of uh, Chinese domestic chemical production. Now, as I say, these things are very tough for a forecasting house like MSI to capture accurately. Do, is the solution to throw up our hands and say we don't know what's going to happen? In our view, it's not. It's to try and think sensibly about some scenarios. So here I've put up two scenarios. One is the MSI base case. Uh, and the key functions of the base case is you have some effort to control commodity pricing. You are prepared to import when it makes sense to do so. You pay some attention to environmental protection at least, and you have more balanced economic growth. I've also put up a resource nationalism case. Obviously, this is a very crude scenario, but we say, okay, resource nationalism, that means you maximize the use of your own resources, you limit imports where you can, you don't really give a lot of priority to environmental issues, and that leads to strong run demand for resources, at least in the short run. How does that impact on each of the shipping markets? Well, I've just picked three to take a look at. The first and the obvious one to look at is dry bulk. Um, and here the scenario I'm looking at is Chinese coal imports. Uh, it's only actually since 2006 that China, China became a coal importer. It has colossal coal reserves of its own and significant coal production. And um, imp imports are just this small balancing item at the end of the equation. Um, we've seen the sensitivity already, where you look at, uh, if you look at last year, where China took its uh, mines down from operating at 330 days a year down to 267 days a year. 
Doing that created shortages and led to a spike in coal imports. Then China says, okay, we switched the tap back on. Mines go up to 300 days working a year, and suddenly you saw imports weaken. So there's a huge sensitivity around this, and this is the result of MSI's modeling of this sensitivity. In the base case, we see Chinese coal imports gradually decrease, but in under-resourced nationalism, where China prioritizes its own coal, you can see they really fall off a cliff. And that has an impact on the dry bulk market as well, of course. This chart just it shows the, the sensitivity of the dry bulk market just to that variable. I'm not assuming anything else about steel or, or, or grain or any other scenario, just looking at Chinese coal imports. You can see that that has a notable impact and turns 2018 into a weaker year than 2017 based on that assumption. It's a similar story for chems, really. Uh, China is one of the really big stories in the chemical tanker market. Um, its uh, consumption of chemicals is growing very rapidly, but so is its production. Um, then the, the China's chemical imports are the implied differential between those two variables. Um, the thing is that China's... Uh, we assume that China will only operate its domestic production capacity at around uh, 70% because of various commercial and economic factors. Um, if we assume that China runs its domestic chemical factories at 100%, then Chinese demand for chemical imports is going to be very seriously impacted, as this chart shows. And that then turns what we see as a very strong chemical market into being a very weak chemical market. Again, just based on our assumption of China running its chemical production facilities at nameplate capacity. It's not all doom and gloom under this scenario, though. Uh, we actually see, under this resource nationalism, we see crude oil tankers as being one of the real beneficiaries. Here we assume that OPEC maximizes its own product production, uh, pumps a lot of oil, the oil price falls, and the demand side responds to the price fall. Um, that this is a very similar story to what we saw in 2015. We assume that it happens again, and you see strong oil demand, and that has a fantastic impact on VLCC earnings. You can see that by, by the end of the decade, under this resource nationalism scenario, we move to uh, earnings levels back to where we were at 2015. So it's this sort of scenario analysis that we believe is increasingly important to understanding the shipping markets given that we live in uncertain times and MSI struggles to forecast what the future is, the IMF does, everyone is, is struggling to capture some of the variables that we're seeing in this market. But uh, I think scenario analysis is a very powerful tool to try and understand the sensitivities and the exposure of investments. In terms of the investments then, there are a few ways of thinking about this. So the first thing I've done is I've just used MSI's online valuation tool, FMV, uh, you can just go online, enter some vessel details, and then you instantly receive the output. The output is the forecast um, value, forecast asset value, the forecast new building price, the forecast earnings, and the forecast operating cost. So you can do a full investment analysis. Um, here I'm just looking at the pure asset play, so not taking into account any retained earnings. And you can see what, what we see. This is buying a five-year-old holding it for five years and selling it as a 10-year-old. 
And you can see that for a number of sectors, to put, despite depreciation, you're actually going to sell the 10-year-old for more than you bought the 5-year-old for, i.e. depreciation is offset by the market improvement. The best performer is the uh, small anchor handling tug, although I stress that's from an incredibly distressed level, 3.5 million for a 5-year-old. Um, Panamax container ships, again, incredibly distressed assets already, but you see quite a large upside. But in general, for the dry, uh, for the dry and container ship segments, plus uh, chem chems and uh, LNG, we actually see, just an, even just looking at the pure uh, asset play, it's quite a strong scenario. The one sector we're more cautious on are the, ta are the oil tankers, um, and you can see that for both uh, MRs and VLCCs, we think only looking at uh, asset play, you are going to be holding a depreciating asset. Of course, that's not the only thing you have to look at. You also have to think about the money that that ship is making you over the course of your investment. So here, this, uh, this chart here shows the IRR return uh, based on purchasing an asset today and then holding it for one, two, three, four years out and then taking into account the appreciation and asset value plus the retained earnings. You see chemical tankers, in our view, is the strongest here. Uh, followed by CAPE, and the VLCC starts to get a bit attractive by the end of the forecast period, but in the short term, uh, we still see VLCC weakness. This is under the base case, but then here I put on the resource nationalism scenario that I mentioned before. You can see under the resource nationalism scenario, the CAPE becomes uh, far less attractive, the chemical tanker similarly, but then the relatively weak earnings we see for VLCCs suddenly uh, look a lot stronger. So if you believe in a low oil price and strong oil demand, then actually uh, VLCCs look a far better bet. Uh, this being an MSI presentation, I want to wrap up with uh, some of the uh, potential downside risk here. I think we all in the industry know, should know what this is. It's the huge buildup in shipbuilding capacity that we've seen. And just look at the green bar. The green bar here represents the evolution of Chinese shipbuilding capacity, going up from just a couple of million CGT in uh, 2000 up to a colossal proportion of global shipbuilding capacity by 2008 in response to strong demand. We've seen some consolidation in that recently, but a key function of MSI's forecast is further consolidation. So here, the solid lines here show what we expect to happen to Chinese, Japanese, and South Korean shipbuilding capacity. As you can see, we expect it to really come off very sharply. If we take a more nuanced view and have a slightly flatter decrease in uh, a flatter rate of consolidation, that has um, obviously a big impact on shipbuilding capacity. It also has a huge impact on new building prices. And again, just taking into account the impact on new building prices, not on oversupply. This is, uh, this is the impact of the previous scenarios we produced on the base case. Here, the NC case is no consolidation. As you can see, the, uh, under this scenario, all the IRRs are reduced and tankers actually become negative. Uh, I'd like to wrap it up here. Um, thank you for your time. I hope at least I've convinced you that maybe we can't accurately forecast precisely what the variables are going to be in the future, but at least using a scenario can give you a way of sensibly thinking about that. Thank you very much.